0: I'm Tyler Smith. And I'm Alexandria Hadara. Welcome to Global Takes, America's number one podcast discussing global issues from the Black perspective. It's time for our voices to be at the forefront of foreign politics and innovation. This is Global Takes. This morning, a 24-7 mission on the Texas border. A group of migrants, most from Haiti, spilling onto the shoreline beneath a border bridge. Thousands of men, women, and children waiting days in triple-digit heat for their chance to claim asylum. The horrifying images of the U.S. Border Patrol galloping on their horses while whipping black Haitian immigrants into subm- submission revive emotions of slavery. And get this, some Haitians were even chained and shackled on their way to be deported back home. Does this signal to the world the lack of importance of black humanity, especially in the United States? If U.S. Border Patrol can use whips to control Haitians when they're fleeing from an earthquake, government corruption, high crimes, does this mean that when it comes to police brutality against black Americans, the things will continue to carry on and there will not be any justice? Well today we're going to have a discussion with Patrice Lawrence. She is the co-director for Undocu Black Network. Undocu Black Network is a multi-generational community of currently and formerly undocumented black people fighting to not only survive but thrive. Let's talk to Ms. Patrice Lawrence in this discussion of global take. So we're just going to jump right into this interview, and we're really excited about all the work you've been doing. So just want to um, focus on the first question. Can you just talk a little bit about your organization, Black, and the work you're doing to help address the Haitian crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border?
1: Yeah, so my name is Patrice. Um, I am now Executive Director of Black Network. Um, we are a network of Black people who are currently or formerly undocumented. Uh, we started with a small convening in 2016 on this radical notion that anyone at all can thrive regardless of their immigration status, um, and especially Black people, and that we needed to do that together, that we needed to sit with the joy, with the pain, with the hardship, but also with the vision of freedom that that we could have as people who uh, have been denied justice and don't have um, uh, stability with their immigration status at this time. And that we needed a community that was understanding of that fact because we couldn't find it anywhere else.
0: Okay. So even like um, other immigration um, groups like PATH, Casa and some other like Latino focused immigration groups you felt like there wasn't a space for the Black immigrant? It it wasn't the same
1: you know like we needed a place for us that was by us that understood us I think there are some unique challenges to being Black and undocumented there's uh, some unique challenges around the politics and in fact like there are still other offshoots that have formed out of Vandaki Black because of the multiple intersections of of our people, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We speak so many languages. We come from so many countries. um, We have a diversity of experience that is more than just blackness. And we could not, and just did not have that home anywhere else that made us feel safe enough to use our voice, to use our, native tongue. You know, I started speaking more of my Jamaican accent because of Andaki Black. You know, I hide it so much in the outside world and I don't get a chance to have the safety to use it because I understand that by presenting as a native-born American that adds an extra layer of protection that others don't have or can't have. Um, and but I also understand that by doing that, it is because of trauma that I experienced when I migrated here, right? It's because of being pointed out in class and being labeled and children, students. Because uh, when I came here, I actually came for college. And I, I'll i never forget, like, um, in a political science class uh, with a white professor, a white male professor. And i stood up to make a point that i thought was really good and i was so excited about it i was excited about doing um political science because i was initially a pre-med major and so i changed i was supposed to (laughs) be a doctor y'all you know anyways (laughs) god didn't have it that way and i remember my class that i took um modern comparative politics and standing up in that class and saying my point and having a student right away put her hand up and thinking it was related to my point. And it wasn't. She wanted me to repeat a word that I said because it sounded so different.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and that kind of like, even kind of touches uh, your own self-esteem, like, I'm I'm smart enough.
1: I do hear that,
0: like from other black immigrants. Um, My husband's from Mali, so that's where I have that. Haidara last name. So that really helped me understand like language is so important um it's as a different layer it's one thing to be black or discriminate on that level but then having that foreign language and a foreign
1: yeah that foreign tongue right because i thought oh well i'm speaking english so we're good but even now like yes i've gotten like the american accent i suppose i've adopted it over time but there's still certain words that out me like, don't ask me to say contribute, I can't say it right. Once I say contribute, you know You know, you know I'm not from here because I can't, I think it's like, I, I still can't say it, you know? Like, there are certain words that I can't, the tongue, my tongue doesn't, doesn't roll it the right, not the, the, my tongue doesn't roll it the conventional way. Uh-huh. Um, and so, like, I think that feeds into so many facets. Of who we are and of society, and when we talk about the images that we saw two weeks ago with Del Rio, um, I was sad. I was angry, but I was also incredibly frustrated, mm-hmm. and still am, because the outpouring of support that we that we received that has now dried up for the most part. Yeah, uh, it dried up so quickly, didn't it? Where's the Million Man March? Where Where
0: that? But and you know, what I was gonna ask you, um, that was actually later in my question, but like, um, how have civil rights organizations gotten involved in this Haitian crisis? Um, you know, they partner with a knock you black network? They've tried, they have tried.
1: Uh, so I'm not knocking them on the million man march piece. Um, man, I think some of this stuff is complicated. They have really mm-hmm. tried. I did get people to reach out. Um, you know, uh, Tamika Mallory and, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 yeah, Jackson. Like the Mallory yeah and and they and went down like to the border. Thing. Yeah. Led by, um, Girline Joseph from Haitian Bridge Alliance, who is who I take mm-hmm. my, my, my cues from. I can't yeah. go to the border. I'm not Haitian. I'm Jamaican.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, um, and they went, but some, the, the solutions to these issues are complex. And deliberately so the relationship between haiti and the united states is pretty straightforward depending on the politic you're coming from which mm-hmm. is that they are an imperialist um, america has acted as an imperialist ruler <laughs> over right. Haiti, an occupier of haiti since its inception right mm-hmm. and when you have that type of a underlying Um, belief system of a country all your rules all your policies all your behavior will follow suit to the point that you don't even realize where it originally came from because now it's become culture and it has become culture for the united states to abuse haiti to steal their resources to actively support illegitimate governments in haiti to destabilize Haiti, and then on top of that, to put propaganda out there that this is all the Haitians' fault, to put propaganda out there about who Haitian people are. And mm-hmm. it's not the first country they've done it to, and they will not be the last. The only um, underlying thing is that this happens, especially with Black countries, but it's not even unique to black
0: countries. Yeah, I mean, I know, like when it comes to our U.S. policy towards Haiti, um, like you said, it's been very complex. It's been more of an imperialistic relationship, and then recently, the U.S. Haitian. Envoy to the envoy to Haiti um, from the State Department. He recently resigned, which really like shows like even the, the back the backroom discussions on US Haitian policy, like um like showing that Biden was a little bit too cozy with the current president um mm-hmm. Ariel Henry. And so I just wanted to know like what are your thoughts on those recent developments and do you feel and um US Haitian relationships in general? Do you feel like um like, we're not progressing, we're not reflecting on that history and trying to move forward because obviously there are things that we're doing um, policy wise, they're destabilizing these countries, supporting corrupt um, politicians. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get your take on that. Um,
1: yeah, and I, I think, think I'll answer,
0: policy.
1: I'll answer perhaps for the wider Caribbean. Um, Because I'm not Haitian, so I don't want to propose to be a Haitian expert. And the way how Andaki Black tries to do this work as well is, yes, to talk about whatever is current, but also to explain that this is part of a larger um, paradigm, um, which is that Mm -hmm. I don't remember the president it was who put in the big stick policy. Was that Roosevelt?
0: maybe
1: i'll have to look look at some (laughs) history okay let's say it was roosevelt let me start over again i remember when america did the big stick policy at least learning about it wasn't born yet right but the idea was that the caribbean was supposed to be the playground for the united states right they were supposed to be able to rule over the caribbean and do whatever they wanted however they wanted okay If you have not followed their rules, then you have been met with consequences. Now that was way before the big stick policy in the case of Haiti, for instance, since they got their independence in 1804. But it took decades for the United States, who at that time was a brand new democracy to even accept Haiti as a democracy themselves, right? It wasn't until
0: after slavery ended.
1: It was after slavery ended. By yeah. that time, these people had been free for over 30 something years, freed themselves. Yeah. But the audacity, the audacity of a country to declare their freedom, that uh, a country that is made up of enslaved Africans to declare their freedom, the audacity, right? And, you know, I've I've listened to people like Gurleen and to uh, Ninaj Raoul from Haitian Women for Haitian Refugees, Marlene Bastien from FAM in Miami, Haitian women who talk Proudly of Haitian history, and talk about how America is indebted to Haiti in many ways, um, including Black America. There are many states, including Louisiana, that would yeah. not have existed without Haiti. Yeah. Haitians. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Haitians help fight. That's very true. For, yeah, for the freedom, right, that, that for America mm-hmm. to even exist the way it does. Now, that's not taught to us in our history books, but I promise you that the legacy of that is embedded in US policy. And they want to make sure that that doesn't happen again, right? That's why they treat Cuba the way they do, right? Which is why if you are a dissenter from Cuba and Cuban politics, you're welcomed here. But if you are not, um, and and you're Haitian for instance, then you're not, you know, it, it goes down to politics. You also realize even, you know, we look at the race of who from Cuba is moving. So, you know, we look at the politics. I remember um, my dad told me stories of uh, when, um, when Jamaica was trying to do trade, increased trade with Cuba in the 70s, including of like cars and things like that. The U.S. immediately put sanctions on Jamaica to stop that trade from happening. They are our neighbor. They are so close to us. My and God. we, and, and America is so far by, by, by comparison and has restricted the trade that we're able to do with Cuba. And they've done that with several other countries within the Caribbean, right? We know about um, the, the bombing that happened in Grenada. was that? 1983. That was also because a leader dared to, st- to, to talk out about imperialism of 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 america you know so the caribbean has been the playground for the united states and if you follow their rules you're fine but if you dare to go against them if you dare to assert your independence if you dare to call them out on their bullshit that's when you are attacked that's what we're seeing in haiti this is, the, the point that I need people to understand,
0: this is American policy, mm-hmm. and that's the issue here, and we, we need to contend with that. Why does America have a different policy for Haitians than they have for Cubans? What exactly is the distinction for America freely accepting Afghan refugees or other refugees from around the world, but having a separate status for Haitians. Seems like those policies have just made, it just caused an, another economic collapse in those countries. Like if you're not able to trade and how can you like create jobs and how can businesses grow and how can you expand and how can you build an economy? So, um, I mean, there's no, is, is there a, is there a um, I guess a, a specific purpose to keep, to continue to perpetuate these policies because they always by They're going to create a migration crisis if the economy collapsed or well, well, you
1: know, if they create a migration crisis and if they create a migration catastrophe, which is, you know, always, um, backed by the president in charge. Whether it's Trump or Biden, it's just the same. I actually think Biden is worse because at least Trump told you that he was going to be evil, but Biden pretended and went on bended knee. Just Google Biden on knee Little Haiti. It's hilarious. He went down on his knee in Little Haiti on the campaign trail begging for the Haitian vote and making all of these promises to Haitian Americans and then breaking almost every single one of them right um but i don't think it's backfiring i think we can follow the money and we'll see that their net gain probably uh you know is still in their favor so when you think about even like climate change right like the reason that 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 haiti um has a hard time recovering from climate uh, disasters, earthquakes um, hit worse and, 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 and hurricanes, earthquakes because of their location to the tectonic plate, but even their ability to recover from that. And then when you talk about hurricanes, um, natural disasters, some of that has to do with America as well, right? America has embargoed different um, relationships about fossil fuel and resources from Haiti. Um, they have uh, they have been a part of different um, uh, sorry getting distracted here mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they, they you know they've been a part of of of, of, of different uh, efforts to 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 take away resources from the Haitian um, country um, Nanaj and others will talk about it more history will of course tell you about uh, them stealing gold from Haiti them stealing trees from Haiti, um, them really having an impact on what their environment looked like. And that was a mayor 200 years ago. So we're feeling the impacts of that now, right? Because you cannot fight off natural disasters. And then if you don't have a legitimate government to put in mitigation um, practices, right? So Jamaica, we also have similar issues with climate change or beaches yeah. are also being ero- eroded we also had problem with soil erosion all of these things i think the one difference is that we have had more years of stability being able to have more sovereignty of our country to be able to fight some of these things right to be able to 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 control the uh where we can the rate at which climate change um, changes our land, Haiti hasn't had that choice, right? Haiti hasn't had that choice because the U.S. keeps meddling in their business and in their politics, so they haven't had the chance to do that. Um, and that then feeds into everything else, which I think is like difficult for a place like America, unless like you really pay attention to the land. But like from the Caribbean, like. The land is your sustenance, is your economy, is your your money, right? What you plant, what you grow, you sell. Um, You know, ecotourism, regular tourism, fishing, all of those things, we are so deeply connected to the land. And so if the land is not producing what you need, then how will you function, right? How will you function? How will you function as a society? How will you function as human beings? And so that's why people migrate right and then when 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 Haitians were needed in Brazil and in Chile they were needed right they helped yeah, yeah, yeah. they helped they needed a workforce mm-hmm. after the earthquake those countries needed a workforce and so they welcomed Haitians in a similar way U.S. has done that from the Abrazo program with uh with Mexico when they needed Mexicans mm-hmm. they asked for them right the teaching right. programs, the farm worker programs, when they need Black people, they send for us, right? How many of us come here as teachers and nurses and all this? When they don't want you, they discard you. And that's what we keep seeing. And so we've entered an era where they've made a calculation that they don't need Haitians, right? Um, that They don't need as many Black people. Apparently, they've reached their quota. And
0: so... Um, yeah, that is very interesting. I used to work at the State Department of Consular Affairs, um, working in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, <laughs> right on the border. And if you look at the number of visas that we issue in Latin America compared to black countries, it's like night and day. I mean, yeah. it's harder to get a visa if you're from Africa, definitely harder if you're from Haiti or from another country. Some countries, they just have these, um, these, these um, yeah. lottery, um, what is it called?
1: Yeah, the lottery, or the lottery and, and they keep, oh, the lottery is my favorite thing to talk about. Diversity visa lottery. Yeah, the diversity soul. visa
0: lottery, that's right.
1: I I love the program. The program itself is good, but it's one of the only ways that Black people can autonomously come to the United States, right? So they adjust the numbers every year about how many visas and how many uh countries are allowed to be in or not. So jamaica hasn't been in for a while because apparently we've they've reached their quota of jamaicans mm-hmm. uh, same for like trinidad lots of caribbean countries but a lot of other african countries still have not had that quota and supposedly it's a lottery it's supposed to be blind but the majority of people who are picked are actually like managerial individuals and higher up individuals and that could be because in order to apply i suppose you would have to perhaps have the stability to move to the United States because they don't give you any assistance right so the lottery they mm-hmm. pick if they pick your name you just come like there's no um nobody's giving you like a stipend or something you have to figure it out um but under Trump he actually changed the rules and said that you have to have a valid visa, uh, not visa a valid passport before you apply for the visa lottery uh the diversity oh. visa yeah and like Can you imagine in COVID right before COVID it was hard anyway, but many people, they've only got one place in their country that you have to go to get your passport. It's hard to get to. It's usually in the town. It's expensive to get. You have to wait a really long time. And this is for a chance that you may not even get. About nine million people apply every year for diversity visa lottery and they don't give out more than 50,000 visas. So how many people are applying um, and not getting through? And it is still expensive. But, oh, here's the interesting part that I love. And this just shows you how they pit people against people. In 1999, when they passed NACARA, which was a green card um, program for Central Americans, the Mm -hmm. trade that they made in order to be able to do that was to cut diversity visas. Uh, This is Congress who did that they cut 5,000 visas per year until those green cards are replenished. So we're now about 20 years in and I think now we're at the cutoff and so we're gonna be able to get back that 5,000 to allow for a cap of 55,000 diversity visas every year. And they tried to do that again when we were doing the um, Dream Act fight of 2018 and Black was a part of the people really pushing against that and we got the Congressional Black Caucus to talk out against it and to say um, that you know you can't do that like you cannot trade diversity visas for for this thing but before like our intervention it was it was it was like uh, it, it, it was it was the way of the land in the, in the Congress that in order to get this thing, you put this thing that Black people have access to.
0: Yeah, speaking of that, can you talk a little bit about Title 42? And um, I know that was enacted by the Donald Trump era and this current impact on the Haitian migrant crisis. And is Biden, do you, I mean, either, are other talks to, like get rid of that title or they're just gonna maintain it until the end of the pandemic? And like, what is your organization? yeah
1: so title 42 has been around for a long time um and the usage of it for this pandemic is what is interesting so the only way it can be used is if cdc agrees um or gives a reason for it to be enacted, right? So CDC gives a reason for it. Now, I don't trust the CDC, right? Wasn't it the CDC that said that um everybody yeah, now, has, the CDC. yeah, mm-hmm. that, that everybody now don't have, hmm, let me retract that. I don't that always trust the CDC. <laughs> Since they're the ones who told us that now we don't have to wear masks indoors and we don't have to do this and we don't have to do that get vaccinated folks, if you can, uh, save a life, wear your mask, damn it. And so, but these are the same folks who who who, um, who bent the rules to say that to help to stem the, the, the uh, COVID, then, you know, no migrants allowed. It's stupid. It's stupid. It makes no damn sense. And um, and several CDC officials have come out to say that. In fact, Trump had to go through um, several lengths in order to get the rule in in the first place and Biden knows this and he is choosing to put it in anyway and only taking who he wants into the country. Um, I think Title 42 allows them to do what America does which is to say no to Black people.
0: Wow I I think it's all of these policies that are just creating these problems for us it's kind of like when there's not enough self-reflection on what we're doing to perpetuate, particularly like supporting these rogue political leaders. What you were talking about, I know there's a lot to unpack with what you said. But, Sorry. <laughs> um, with the, but with the Haitian crisis and comparing Haitian politics or Haitian relations with the um, United States versus Jamaica and Cuba, I mean, Haiti has had like its share of political leaders that the, that the United States have supported like with Papa Dog and... Um, mm-hmm. other past presidents. I mean, they were corrupt, but the United States still supported them, yet they're still not able to, um, they're still not able to, I guess, exert themselves um, politically and economically, um, just even with that support. Like, they're still, it's still like, it seemed like Haiti is still being punished for Yeah, what happened in 18, um, 1804. 1804. Know, 1803. happening like what do you see like you mentioned about the congressional black caucus and them shaping us um haitian policy like you were like they were involved with um like visa lottery and so forth like um how do you see the congressional black caucus playing in the u.s haitian foreign policies are you guys going to hearings on the hill or um having um meetings with congressional leaders or working with lobbyists or or, (laughs)
1: Yeah, we have been. I mean, you know, I think CBC Chair Joyce Beatty came out with statements, different congressional leaders have done that, too, of the Black Caucus. Um, There was just a hearing with Ambassador Foote yesterday. Um, But beyond that, we, in order to show true solidarity, we'll have to make some tough choices about uh, things that have become conventional for for Washington, D.C., That includes the support of ICE and CBP. That includes ballooning DHS's Department of Homeland Security budget every year. Um, That includes the money that we spend every year on the defense bill and on war in this country. And I don't know how willing people are to take it to that step. Right. It's, It's all good and great to do a press conference. Sure, let's do it. But after that, are you holding back the purse strings? Are you uh, putting language in appropriations that says that DHS cannot use money to deport Haitians? Are you making it so that the, the, the agencies are really feeling the sting? And I don't think it's gotten to that point And I think it needs to get to that point for us to truly believe in this solidarity of any caucus, right? And they're not willing to do that. So we're talking about reconciliation. There's still money in reconciliation for the border right now. Mm -hmm. Right? Homeland Security Caucus still has um, uh, an allotment of $50 billion that is going to go to border. For what? Are we going to change that? Like, look at what we just witnessed. Are they the right agency to handle the border? Who else should be doing this? I dare say give that money to the, the, the organizations that, that could do this work. Rewrite that entire language, right? ICE and CBP get $25 billion every year. Wow. Just ICE and CBP. Not even the um, DHS
0: as a whole. What are they using that money to do? Right, it's, they're just having detention centers. I read something about how Black immigrants are more likely to be in prison or put in detention centers or used, um, you know, excessive yeah. force when dealing with with them versus um, other immigrant groups.
1: And for longer times too, because um, you know we're punished again for ever asserting anything for ourselves. So there are certain Black countries and especially certain African countries that will not uh, accept people who are being deported. And as a result, what the United States does is they go, oh, well, your country won't accept you, well, neither will we, so we just keep you in a cage for 20 years. Oh, really? Wow. There are people in detention right now, and the only reason they are there is because their country told the United States that we will not take these people back, we will not issue travel documents, you are not allowed to land that plane. And so consequently, those people are punished because their country won't take them back and the US won't let them back in um, to, 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 to the freedom of society. And so they are held for, for very long times in detention, in poor conditions with no reprieve. What
0: role does Mexico play? Like these third countries, if you will. Know. Um, I mean so many folks
1: have who are Haitian have been in Mexico they've been waiting and they were being allowed work permits for some time and those also started getting taken away by the Mexican government um so they're aiding and abetting whatever it is that the United States says
0: they're supposed to do Mm. but uh, Um, is, is the treatment would you say like because you because I feel like Mexico has to have this like this um, tap dance with the United States. They can go hard with them, but then they have to be careful about how, how what the repercussions of their decisions could be in terms of policy and foreign aid. So um, I guess what's asking like in, in terms of benefits, like- I'm um, not
1: clear on that. What I am clear on is that um, what Haitians have told folks is that they are experiencing increased racism in Mexico both from the government as well as from the people, and they're not safe there. And that's why they're now crossing over. So there's some individuals that were in other countries, um, and then there are thousands more who have been stuck in Mexico because the United States will not give them entry. And it has become increasingly difficult for them to stay there. And now, apparently, Mexico and Chile and other countries are deporting Haitians now.
0: Um oh, they deported them back to United
1: to, to Haiti. To Haiti now. That started since um,
0: this whole uptick. This is really interesting because I'm just thinking about like that whole migration process. You leave Haiti, let's say you get on a boat and you get it to Brazil. I mean, that's a long journey. And then Once you arrive there, maybe you work a couple of years and just as a domestic worker or in construction or like a lower level position, because you don't have papers, you know, maybe you're not educated. And then you go through the border to get the United States from Brazil to, you know, Venezuela and, and Panama and all the way up to Mexico. Are these countries like kind of supporting, like for them to be able to cross the border and not have legal papers? to do that that,
1: that, that just sounds... I don't know that part isn't a question for me what I do know is that the United States knows who every single person is the minute they come in Panama because there's a mm-hmm. point there where they have to register so this idea that it's a crisis that they didn't know that it was unexpected is bullshit America yeah. knows everything
0: right we do <laughs> that is
1: very true <laughs> yeah you know like Yeah, they could have told us, maybe, like, you know, and they could have put preparations in if they wanted to. But like, this just all comes back to like the idea that if they thought that these were poor, helpless, Norwegian, white teenage girls, we would be rushing to send the Red Cross and all the agencies. And you know, we would have food drives and the best blankets and bouquets and a cavalry of, of vehicles, right? To support these individuals, because we would say, oh, these poor people, they right. need our help. They need our help. We've got to help we have to show care and compassion, we would see ourselves in them, right? Um, we would see ourselves in them, and by we, I mean Americans, because, oh, you know, you have to protect the innocent. That's what I think would happen. But Black people are not allowed that innocence. We remember when Obama, got lots of problems with him, but I'll say this much. Um, when Obama, um, talked about the fact that Trayvon Martin could be his son. People were so angry about that. But That's because he saw himself in Trayvon and that's okay. It is okay to see ourselves in black children and black little boys whose lives have been cut down short by white supremacists. That's okay. And that should be the norm. I don't think that's any different from a white person saying, oh, Annie Frank and her journal and all these things she did. Okay. Same, same but people and the powers that be do not see themselves in Black migrants, in Haitian
0: migrants. Let's talk about that a little bit because that's another topic to unpack. But um, as far as like um, Haitian migrants and people not seeing, like Americans particularly not seeing themselves in in the humanity and the suffering of Haitian migrants, um, how? Why do you think Black America as a whole um, politically have struggled to get involved in these immigration issues? And is there like a disconnect? Because, um, you know, as a person of Black American myself, um, family, my family's from Mississippi, so we're from the deep, deep, deep South. And um, do you feel like there's a disconnect between Black Americans and the Black immigrant community? And that is why we haven't like, Embrace or brought this issue into like our issues? Because Black American issues are more domestic. Like, I just kind of want to know your take on that. How can, why should Black America care on this issue? How do we get get the mainstream Black culture, Black population involved in this issue?
1: I think a couple of things. I think on the surface, it may seem that um, we don't have that much in common, being native born Uh, black Americans and the rest who may have migrated here, Um, you dig a little deeper. And there's almost nothing that sets us apart. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Black people have always migrated. Uh, Black people even within the United States migrate. Uh, Many of us, um, or many of family members of Native born Americans, um, Native born black Americans uh, have migrated from the south to different parts right. of the country. Um, they have understood very deeply what it is like to be uh, discriminated against. They have understood very deeply what it is to enact your own systems of governance and to have those be taken down. Um, we almost have like an innate reaction to government And, um, and we understand anti blackness, even if we don't use the term. Some of our scholars that you know, lots of folks um, talk about, and prefer, um, or, or, uh, our activists, people we look up to Marcus Garvey, Archer Lord, Sokley Carmichael, all have a migrant background. Um, You know, uh, I think of Lorraine Hansberry and, um, and even Malcolm X, and they also have some mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. We are closer to it than we think, um, or that is on the surface. You scratch a little bit for 15 minutes, I just did that in two minutes, we got the connection. What has happened, I think, is that additional problems and policies are piled on us that it's like, I can't really deal with your thing because I'm too busy dealing with my thing, right? And I think more needs to, more conversations have to happen. What you're doing right now is divine work to make sure that people are able to connect the dots. Because when we connect the dots, we realize we're not that much different. In fact, a lot of times what the government does is that they will test out on one of our populations and then fortify with the other. So I think about like ankle monitors and um, detention and like those types of practices. They tried that out on black immigrants first, right? Detention detention as it currently exists right now was perfected for for, for immigrants, was perfected on Haitians first. And then they perfected um, the idea of like uh, electronic monitoring and surveillance and then shared that out more so that they could use it for the wider population, right? Um, when I think about, um, there was this thing called the public charge rule. Um, it still exists actually. That basically says that if you become, if you become a green card holder in this country, you cannot get like certain benefits, um, like uh, for five years you're, you're limited from getting certain benefits. And Trump found that rule when he was in and said, oh, that also now applies to like SNAP and WIC and like everything. Um, And it was fought and it's now gone in some ways, but it was started on immigrants first. Like a lot of these things are, that's why even Palestine and... Black Americans have a unique relationship, right? Because American police are trained in Israel um, and the force that they use against Palestinians is fortified there. And then they use those same tools and tactics against Black people here in the United States. Not a conspiracy, absolutely a fact, right? They test out possible options in all of our populations across the globe and then perfect them in the United States. Um, And that happens both within the United States as well as outside. So when you have that knowledge, then you realize that we're not that different. Um, But if you're so bogged down thinking about your thing, how am I gonna have time thinking about, you know, what the other person is thinking about, what the other person is struggling with? It, It doesn't seem as clean cut and clear to me, but five minutes of conversation will raise it right back up. I think we need people to be questioning things more. And I suppose we as on Black and orgs like orgs need to make it more popular, make it more cool, come out of the policy jargon. You know, we could do our part to make it a little cooler. Um, and I think we could also do our part to not necessarily impart the information, but just ask the questions and let people go figure it out for themselves.
0: The part that really struck me was like during that same two-week period when we were seeing the images of the um, you mm-hmm. know, horsemen um, galloping and hitting and whipping the Haitians, that was the same week that the George Floyd um, policy um, law was like um, Senator period. Tim Scott and Senator uh-huh. Cory Booker. Like, those policy discussions failed during the same week that, where they were talking about Supporting Haitians, and we didn't, we haven't moved a ball even with the George Floyd Act. Do you feel like, like Black Americans not taking part, what's happening in Haiti, that that's going to affect our own domestic agenda? Like you said, foreign policy and how black, the United States treats Black people abroad is perfected here in the United States.
1: I'll say this, like, I uh, need to read more deeply into the uh, George Floyd Act, but from what I understand, I don't know how much I trust it. I do know that asking the police agency to inv- investigate themselves and putting more policies in place that they are going to keep themselves accountable will not save us, will not solve anything. And that is at least something that we can also learn from um, immigrants, from DHS, because those policies already exist. ICE has guidelines that they're supposed to follow for migrants. ICE has practices that they're supposed to, best practices that they're supposed to institute to make sure that people's rights are protected. And what we have witnessed, what we know to be true from the stories of individuals is that those are not respected. And I am yet to hear that the people who were on horseback were fired, right? Yeah. that the people who were on those horses with whips were fired. Horse reins, whatever they want to call them. And so and we probably won't hear it. We probably won't see anything from the investigation because that is one agency investigating the other agency. And how well has that worked for us? How many police officers has actually been found guilty of the murder that they've committed against Black people? How many Black... Uh, Femmes, LGBT folks, do we have in the news, on the papers, who are abused and killed just the same as black men? So we have to rethink what all of that looks like, and we have to look at how they're already treating marginalized people to see that it's all the same. And policing is all the same. All of this is the same. And yes, for that reason, I think we should be more united. On some of these pieces, because we could compare notes and see, mm-hmm. where, you know, policies that we're thinking are brand new in the immigration world are not brand new, or policies that we're seeing as brand new in the civil rights world are not brand new, and we could reimagine futures that actually work for us. Okay.
0: Well, on that note, what's what's next for you, Miss um, Lauren? That's my last question.
1: what's next for me um i think we're gonna try to uh build and maintain new relationships with all of these allies with you i hope you invite me back to your program i hope that that i would love to be here i would love to have more consistent relationships so that we could actually build together i hope that when the world opens back up uh safely that we could break bread together, that we can get to know each other. And who knows, we might be able to connect some dots and you might be my
0: cousin and you don't know it. <laughs> oh boy, well thank you so much, Miss Lawrence. This has been a great conversation. I've learned so much from you. And um, yes, we will definitely um, bring you back on, and we want to keep this relationship going. And we am really excited about the work that you're doing, and we'd like to get involved with your organization and some of your capacity. So, so thank you so much for your for your time. Absolutely, you as
1: well. It's been a pleasure.